before we dive in now. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for caring about us enough that, that you've, you've compiled this, Father, for us to, to learn more about you, to grow closer to you, God. And Father, as we enter into learning about the word this morning, uh, I just pray that, um, that my words would become from you, Father, that, that you would provide me with, with what you want to be heard from this, Father. So God, bless this time together this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, so first off, sorry for my voice that is going to be cutting in and out throughout the day. I apologize for that. Um, still, uh, still on the uh, back end of, of pneumonia, so uh, getting better. But uh, I cut out once in a while, so... Um, yeah, so we, we've started off the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we started off looking at our, our series on God's house in this time of Advent. Um, we started with Nate looking at the first temple, so we kind of looked at Genesis and, and what things look like there, who our God is. Uh, and then last week, Pastor Nick um, touched on the old temple and the effect of the things that we, we carry with us in our lives. And now it's my turn. And I really didn't want to miss it. I was asked several times if I was okay still to be preaching. And I said, yes, yes, I am. I, this is about all I did while I laid at home for a couple of weeks was look at this. So, yes, I want to preach. And to start off, isn't it, isn't it funny how in our lives things change? Sometimes it's a bit of a painful twisting of the arm. Um, but things change whether or not we want them to and all through that change it can feel like the most terrible thing in the world but ultimately there is some good that comes of it and we might not be okay with the change that's coming but it's coming always it's the only thing that's constant other than God is change in our lives and I've got a question for the parents here, which are many of us. Have you ever wanted something for your kids so bad that was so good for them that they would enjoy so much? I think most of us have probably had that yearning and that longing. But every attempt at setting that up for them they just seem to sabotage it. I'm going through that right now with one of my kids. We try to set up some great things for them, and it just gets sabotaged over and over again. Self-sabotaged. We end up losing patience, and we end up withdrawing this precious thing from them, whatever it is. We, we pull back, and we're like, you know what? You're just not ready for this. And it can be really frustrating and disheartening as a parent, right? Um, I know in our case, it, it hurts because we're like, we want this for you and you, you need this so bad, but I just can't g 
give it to you. You won't let me give it to you. We still want the best for our kids, though, so we try to find a, a new way to make that happen. What's that got to do with today's scripture, though? Let's start uh, by, by taking a look at the background of the book of Ezekiel. Um, I, is the, the prophets is not somewhere that I have spent a lot of time of study. Um, I'm definitely more familiar with the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, um, and a lot of the New Testament stuff. So the, the prophets, when I, when I had this scripture come up and I was looking at this, it, it required a lot of study. Um, so I had to learn a little more about what was happening in the time of Ezekiel. So he was a prophet who lived about 400 years into the Israelites' Babylonian exile. So when they were carted off into exile, about 400 years into that. And as most of us are aware, this exile, so um, Israel had broken faith with God. They tried again and again to be faithful, or God tried to get them again and again to be faithful. And uh, repeatedly, they struggled upholding that. And so then... They're conquered and exiled by Babylon. And most of the Israelites were deported as a result of this. And we've seen throughout the, the narrative um, multiple times where they've been sent back. They'll rebuild a wall. They'll rebuild the temple, a few things. They get to come back, but most of them are sent away to start. Ezekiel's primary purpose with, with his writings, he was a prophet of God, one of the major prophets. Um, he was to, uh, his goal was to restore God's glory before Israel after this continual rejection. So Ezekiel's definitely very prophet, prophetic with a lot of imagery, and that's why we jumped around today. Um, throughout chapter 10, um, there's a lot of stuff about wheels and cherubim and eyes and all kinds of stuff that really isn't the focus of what we're looking at this morning. So we, we jumped around to the, the pertinent uh, um, verses. And we're not going to dig into too much of that imagery today. Um, but it's important to see this context, that this is where he was coming from. Now, in the chapter prior to this, in chapter 9, um, we see the Lord beginning to move away from the temple. This movement kind of um, starts uh, and he moves away from those who had moved away from him. And that's something to keep in mind. He moved away from those that have moved away from him. We then get a sense of coming judgment in chapter 9 and 10. As there are um, people marked and executioners sent through the city. Um, and then there are some hot coals, not in the Isaiah sense, being scattered amongst the city. Um, in the midst of all of this, we see this description of God's movement. Um, so the temple, the tabernacle was, was a place where the ark was stored and the presence of God in the form of a cloud while they were in the wilderness would settle over um, this inner part of the tabernacle where the ark sat. And then with the temple, that was, there was the Holy of Holies in the middle um, where God's presence resided. It was his place amongst his people. But we see some movement happening in this vision of Ezekiel's. And that's what we want to take a closer look at this morning. But we kind of need to understand the temple a little bit. 
there was an inner part. So that's the Holy of Holies where the Ark rested. And then there was the inner court, and there was the outer court. There are multiple like stages and, and places for different people to be um, within the temple. And in that outer court was the east gate that went out into the city. With that in mind, let's look at the, the movement that Ezekiel describes. So verses 3 to 4 have a bit of a description that we're going to start with. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court, and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with a cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. There's not a lot to unpack there, hey? Um, really, what we're looking at here is that movement. So he's moving from his seat to the threshold of the temple. So very specifically to the threshold. And there's, there's a lot of symbolism um, in the Old Testament, um, in, in the biblical world, sorry, um, regarding the threshold of a house. It's a, it's a place of judgment amongst other things. And, and we see that throughout Ezekiel's um, writing here is that there is judgment happening. Israel has continuously chose not to follow God, to follow after God. And so there's judgment that's happening. And we need to remember that this this vision carries that message of judgment. They also mark, though, in this case, the transition from the realm of the sacred space to a secular world. So God's moving from this, this dwelling place within the temple, the Holy of Holies, that if the wrong person went in, they were struck dead. Moving from that place outside of that into the world. And at this point, everybody's probably sitting here wondering, okay, what are you going on about? What is this? I promise that there is a point to it. When we get, or, or we, we, we then end up getting some very in-depth descriptions about cherubim, and again, if you want to read it on your own time, that's fine, but there's a lot of eyes and wheels and very interesting descriptions that you can read about 10 million different opinions on. So have fun with that. Um, I want to jump, though, to where we jump to verses 18 to 19. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth. Before my eyes they went out with wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord. And the glory of God of Israel was over them. So now we've moved from the threshold of the temple to this outer court to the east gate, looking, heading out into the city from there. By the end of chapter 11, as we read, the glory of God ultimately heads up the mountain, 
and departs. And this seems like such a sad moment. God's leaving Israel. And really, in a way that it is. Right? Remember my question about being a parent who wants to give their kid the world, but they keep making decisions that make it really difficult to, to give them exactly what they need. God wants to give his people everything, and, and that was what he did. He wanted to dwell with them. He wanted to dwell with them in the garden. We kiboshed that, too. Man, humanity, kiboshed the chance to live with God in the garden. So then we had a few faithful over the many years to eventually the point that there was a nation established out of these faithful and the nation of Israel came to be and out of, out of Egypt there was change that was coming. But again, change, no matter how good it is, can be very difficult for us. And we see that in what happens in the story of Israel. Again and again. So they come out of Israel. They have this chance to head into the promised land fairly quick. I mean, there's a little bit of a, a walk involved. But they could have gone in. But instead... They wanted to complain, and they had a difficult time adjusting to life outside of Egypt. So then they ended up wandering for 40 years. In the meantime, though, God was establishing them. The ark was built. God led them. His presence was with them. The, the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. His presence was with them in the tabernacle as they set up as they traveled around. God was with them through all of that. And then when the temple was built, the ark was placed in the Holy of Holies. God's presence dwelt there with them. They had easy access to God. They could go to the temple, and God's presence was there. He wanted to give his people everything. He had a way set up for that to happen. But they kept rebelling and misbehaving. And that's really putting it mildly, if we really want to look at it deeply. Misbehaving and rebelling is pretty mild um, when we look at some of the idolatry and everything else that happened throughout the years, right? This vision shows that God's patience in trying things this way has run out. Uh, Landon Dowden, um, a uh, commentary author, uh, says this, God's presence is a blessing. The presence of God is a sign of his favor, whereas the absence of God is a sign of his rejection. God has been patient with those in Jerusalem, yet they never wavered in their rebellion. His patience has run out, and his punishment is beginning with the most severe consequence. Not their death, but his departure. That absence of God is, is torture. Life with God is amazing. Life without God, not so great. And many of us have been there. Life without God, we know, right? 
Life is way better with God. But when we've given our kids something and they sabotage those efforts for us to help them enjoy it, often the punishment can be to take away what it is we've given in order for them to appreciate it more. What's that saying? You never, uh, you never really know what you had until it's gone? Or is that a song? I think it's a song, not a saying. You, you don't know what you had until it's gone. And really, that's, that's exactly it. We take things for granted when we have it all the time. And I just noticed that I talked about this in our chapel on Wednesday at the school, too. It wasn't planned. I just suddenly connected that. We take for granted the things that are around us. And when, when they had God right there and easy access, well, great. We've got easy access to him. We can go and sacrifice a dove or a lamb or a whatever they needed to sacrifice to atone for whatever sin that they had done. It's not really what he wants. And especially when people were starting to forget that that was part of their covenant with him. And this is very much what's been happening in Israel. God desires so much to dwell with Israel, but they have shown a huge lack of appreciation for that gift over and over and over again. It's not just, uh, oops, we slipped up once. Over many, many years, things kind of get good for a while, and then they get really bad. And they kind of get good, and then they get really bad. It's a cycle. The glory of the Lord now is moving out of the temple where he dwelled with his people. And the temple now lies empty. But there's hope in this. And we could leave this whole thing and this whole unpacking there um, in doom and gloom as a warning of, hey, be good or God's gone. But that's really just not the case, and that's not true. There's more to it than just God punishing Israel for their continued wrongdoing. God loves us. And there's nothing that we can do that's so bad that God will not take us back. When we discover that we're given, um, that we've given our kids, um, let me restart that sentence. When we discover that um, what we've given our kids needs to be removed, even though it could be really good for them, we don't just give up on them having it usually. I know for us, we'll get creative and try to find a new way for it to be present in their lives that would um, work better at that point. Something that will work better for, for us to provide it to them. Something, um, sometimes that means allowing access to it for short periods or in a different setting or whatever. It might even um, be just changing it so, oh yeah, it's not before bed. It's only in our living room. We put it on a timer, whatever. 
Remember, God wants to be with his people. He will never just abandon them. That's a promise that he's made us. God doesn't break his promises. He will never just abandon them. We've established that. That's really not what our God is like. There's actually beauty and hope in what God is doing here. And we can miss that. We can, like I said, we can end it with the doom and gloom. God's gone. But there's hope. We need to read on. There's hope. The vision serves as a reminder to Ezekiel that the temple isn't a prison for God. God's presence dwelt within the temple, but it's not a prison for God. It's actually protection for his people so that he can dwell directly with him. The full glory of God can dwell directly with them without destroying them. Again, only certain people wearing very specific clothings and having to have practiced very specific hygiene could go into the Holy of Holies without being struck down. The presence of God is just so powerful in all of its pureness that there needed to be something to contain it to protect his people. And that's what the temple actually was. A way for him to dwell with them without destroying them. Now remember, people couldn't even touch the ark without dying, right? Somebody, uh, ooh, off the top of my head now, this is real good. Um, there was somebody who went to steady the ark when it was falling the one time, trying to do a good thing, and he was killed because he touched the ark, right? The presence of God is just that powerful. It's too pure for us. God, in reality, is free to go wherever he wants to go. And this is significant because gods in the ancient world were believed um, to have a limited range of influence, right? They had their temple, and the further away you got, the less influence that they had in that area. But he's free to go anywhere without his power being diminished. He wasn't overcome or conquered when Babylon came in. He chose to leave because Israel chose to abandon the covenant. But there's even more to it. Although he's done with his people in Jerusalem, and here's where the hope really is, he isn't done with them in exile. They can no longer come to him, but he's going to go to them. He's changing things up so that the people who have rejected him over and over again and it's not working this way. He's leaving the temple to be with him. And we see that when he goes up to the mountain to go and be with his people in exile. There's a lot of reassurance, reassurance in that. It's so encouraging that our God will leave that comfy, cozy little bedroom that's made for him. Actually, it was a pretty big bedroom. And go out into the world to be with us. And what's great about this is that there's a lot of foreshadowing of the work to come with this. Access to God is no longer reserved to the Israelites. And we see um, that a lot of the, the uh, 
prophecy from the Old Testament about the, the Gentiles having access and everything, that starts with this, with God going out from the temple where Gentiles weren't allowed before. God is meeting the world. God has made his dwelling place with the whole world. It's, it's in the world. He's in the world. And the future work to bring his love to the Gentiles is beginning. So to wrap things up, the temple, God's earthly dwelling place for a time, is now empty. It doesn't mean that it's the end of the story. Again, God doesn't abandon his people. No matter how off track we get, God doesn't abandon us. He becomes available in new ways. So even somebody who grew up in the church, who's left the church, God hasn't abandoned that person. He might not reach them on a Sunday morning anymore, but there are people that God places in our lives to still meet us and still connect with us. He becomes available in new ways when his original gift just wasn't received as intended. He desires to be with us and his people, and he's determined to find a way. The temple is empty, and God punishes Israel for its unfaithfulness. But in doing so, he makes himself available to the whole world. So God, God's for everyone. And that's so exciting, because I'm not Jewish. I'm not an Israelite. God's for me. God's for you. God's for everybody in this city. Because he left the temple. So his future work of redemption can only be accomplished by removing his presence from the temple. And becoming for everyone. It was all done for us. Each and every one of us now has access to God without having to fly to Jerusalem. Or think 200 years ago where you had to get on a boat, go across the ocean for a couple months then trek across the desert to get to Jerusalem or however they did it. We don't need to do that. Each and every one of us has access to God without doing that. It's the silver lining in this part of the story because it sounds so sad that God just gave up on Israel. He didn't give up on Israel. He changed the way that we meet with him and became available to more people. But that's what we need to remember out of this is that God wants to be with us so much that despite our continual rejection of him, the rejection of the gift of his presence, he has gone through great lengths to make it happen. He sent his son to suffer and die for us. He wants to be with us. So in this season of celebrating God sending his son for us, let's make sure that we remember that to the point that we don't let our desire to be comfortable hold us back from letting other people know about Jesus. Those that we work with, those that we go to school with, those that we interact with in the grocery store. It can be as simple as a smile, guys. It can be as simple as being kind to the cashiers at Walmart who are standing at those self-checkouts that we all detest, right? 
instead of getting upset that the, we've been in line for 15 minutes, we can be kind to those people who are already putting up with garbage from people all day long. And it makes a huge difference. We need to remember that God is for all of us by leaving the temple. Every person. And we want people to understand that. So God's not messing around. He left the temple. He changed things up. He takes action when we won't. But also, more importantly, he loves you so deeply that he will come to you. He will meet you. So Father God, we, we thank you. Father, that, that you left the temple to come and find us, Father. That your presence is with us today. That we have access to you. God, and that even when we're, we've gone astray, Father, you will send your presence to us in the form of those around us, Father. And God, I just pray that as we go throughout our weeks, as we live out our lives, that your presence would be with us so that we can be your presence to those around us, those who don't feel your presence with them, Father that we would be a light in the darkness. And Father, I just pray that anybody who's here today or listening, who desires to know you and doesn't yet, God, that you would touch their lives. Father, that you would let them know that you're there meeting with them, that you love them, and God, that you want to spend eternity with them, Father. So, Father, I just I pray a blessing over those who are here today, those who are listening. God, that you would help us stay fresh in our minds. That even though the temple is empty, you are with us, Father. And that there was more work to come after the temple was emptied. So God, I just pray that this would go with those who are listening. In your name, amen. So friends, as we continue to celebrate this Christmas season, just go knowing that God loves you deeply and walk that out. Live like you know that. Blessings to everybody.